Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a sunny day in a rather deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on the air today by Simon Bates. Simon is a director at the College Equestrian Centre, a premier equestrian competition and library venue in Bedfordshire. Simon, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you with us. No, good morning. Good to be with you. Absolute pleasure having you. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast, first and foremost, is to gather together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. So what I'd like to understand is what that word leader actually means to you personally. It's a killer question to start with. I think leadership's about getting the most out of people, um, keeping a team working together, getting people to develop, um, getting people's probably self-belief up as well that you can leave people to a task and they can manage it themselves and, in, well, increase their role that they to get to get more out of people by them wanting to do more. Absolutely. It's important as a leader sometimes to let people kind of take on their own leadership and be a little bit independent at times. And to be able to do that, you've got to be able to improve their morale and their self-belief. And so being a motivator in a way is a hugely important part of being a leader, isn't it? It is, and it, it's sad that the other side of it, that actually shouting at people now and again is really effective as well, but um, it, 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 it's both sides of it. It's much nicer if people will just always be positive and wanting to develop, which then means being able to praise them at the right time and let people feel rewarded for things that they've done because I think quite often for people, what they see is a big task isn't necessarily what from above, from looking down on them is a big task mm. or I see as a big task. So it's appreciating the level of effort that people see that they've put in rather than necessarily the importance of that task within the business um, and not praising people too much all of the time because that just gets silly as well. Exactly right. It's a fine balance between a sort of people management, I suppose, in knowing when to kind of put an arm around somebody and then knowing when to give them a little bit of a kick up the backside just to try and get a little bit more from them. Yep, sorry. Um, it's about like people management, isn't it? Being able to understand when to put an arm around somebody but then also when to give somebody a little bit of a kick in the backside to get more from them. Absolutely. And, and it's, a, it's a funny relationship as well. The... Um, the the leader role that you're not people's friend um you're there helping them assisting them also telling them what to do it's I mean, it's almost a parent role but it sounds a bit bizarre calling it that but the the the, the, the praise and the um the empathy that you want with people it's not on a strict level um all the time i think sometimes being friends with people you work with makes it very tricky Mm, it's sometimes you have to kind of take a little bit of a backseat from that sort of approach and be more of a mentor as opposed to too much of a friend as a leader, don't you? It's about striking quite a delicate balance there, isn't it? No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's often said as well that um, when we encounter times of difficulty and times of crisis, as it were, especially with um, in light of the current COVID situation at the moment, you do often see people really bringing out the best in themselves. And when it comes to people, sort of being good employees and certainly being good leaders as well. Do you think that that experience of going out of your comfort zone and having to push the boundaries is hugely important in one's development? It has to be. I mean, particularly in these times now when it is is really difficult that 
with his job in our team that existed before this came along is going to be the same. And I don't think the jobs are going to be the same for several years now. Um, even when we're over this, there's going to be a recovery stage in the business. So it's, yeah, people have, people have got to be flex, flexible. Otherwise, they'll simply get left behind with that because, well, like most businesses, there's a real risk it's going to contract that we can't sustain the same size of business. So, so people need to do need to be able to do more and be able to be empowered to do more without necessarily getting any more reward from it. And I imagine you've had to be flexible as a leader as well in terms of trying to guide the uh, the centre through this um, current situation as well. Absolutely, but it, it, it's very hard to. Um, to, to, it needs a, a, a firm hand and people need to see there's some stability in the way that we're taking it forward. But as guidance evolves and as we wait to see what the rules are going to be next week and then from every week afterwards, how things evolve from there, it's very hard to give people security and a, a long-term idea on where we're going when, to be honest, we don't really know ourselves where we're going. It's difficult, isn't it? It's a very fine balance that you have to strike between being proactive and being reactive because people, of course, look to you as a leader for all of the answers constantly. And sometimes, um, of course, we're being very self-aware at the moment. It's been a huge period of self-reflection, this pandemic. Um, we are aware yeah. as leaders that we don't always have all of the answers um, in that respect. And when especially there's a lot of uncertainty, it's difficult to plan long term and you have to wait for changing guidelines and changing circumstances. You're almost in a way being sucked into having to be reactive and having to make measured decisions quickly. Well, I mean, in some ways, the industry we're in, we have to make it up ourselves because the horse world isn't a big enough one that government are going to write rules for us. Mm. We, we need to pick the bits that we've got that are a bit like a golf course and the bits that we have that are a bit like an outdoor um, sports arena and select the government guidance on a part of the world that, well, both fits our industry and suits where we want to get to and say that's the line we're following. Um, it it makes it quite a, a delicate path to follow, though. Mm, but pioneering in that way as well is one of the probably most um, immense forms of leadership that one can really take on um, at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it, the trouble is... It, if, if you do it and it looks right, you look really, really clever. But it's it's very easy to make a big mistake and to be going totally along the wrong path. And then to have to pick people up and carry them back to um, to where you started before. Um, and of course, in hindsight, everyone's an expert as well. Absolutely. Um, as a leader, I suppose, um, you are very much in the firing line for criticism in that respect. But on the flip side to that, I mean, is it really possible to actually be a good employee or even a good leader without first maybe trying things, getting one or two things wrong and then learning from that and using that to improve? I think you have to. I mean, I think if, if people never make a mistake, um, well, they're either very, very lucky or they just don't recognize their failings. Um, I don't think it's possible to carry on and never make a mistake in business. Or if you do, you're probably running in far too cautious a fashion. If we look at that phrase, you either win or you learn. I mean, it's essentially a learning process, isn't it? Because no one leader is ready made for a certain role and is going to get everything right, presumably. And it is so often said as well that you learn more from when things go wrong and things are difficult than when things are going well. 
Absolutely. It, it, it's been the way that our business has developed over the years. When things are going well and you've got enough money coming in, you don't tend to pare things down to the bone and really look too hard at where, where it's performing well and where it's performing weaker. It's when the bank balance doesn't quite balance that you start to get very good at seeing what's performing and what's not performing. And I think sometimes a knockback does make a business stronger. It's just making sure you don't get knocked back for too hard or for too long, though. Mm, it's all about resilience in that respect, isn't it? And um, if, Simon, you could maybe go back 10 years and speak to a younger version of yourself a decade ago, um, is there anything that you would maybe tell the younger you to do differently going forward based on the experience you have now? It's very difficult. I, mean, I, I used to have a, a proper job working for a, for a big company. And I think when you're working for someone else, you don't appreciate the benefits of it. And then when you're working for yourself, you you really do appreciate it. I think I think there's a lot to be said for working from nine to five, five days a week, and um, ending up with a decent pension at the end of it, and and appreciating what's in that as well. I think I think running your own business is always going to be thankless because you can always do it better. You're always going to look back and think that you never did it perfectly because because you can't and you don't. So. You're always going to have a a level of failure within the way that you run your business, and I think if you don't see that you've got a level of failure, then you're being quite naive in the way you run the business. And for those um, younger generations of people who may be aspiring to start their own businesses and lead those going forward in the future, and what advice would you uh, have to give them, Simon? I think you've you've just got to get on with it. Um, I, I think you. You need to work out a way of seeing that every mistake and every problem that you've had is something that comes back and falls at your feet because then you look at ways of solving it. There's a, there's a lot of people who, whose businesses fail and they become victims in it, and it's just wrong. I think you need to look at every problem and every failure and look to see how you could have done better in that situation because ultimately, if those circumstances come round again, you're going to be the only person who can fix it. I think that's very sound advice indeed and anybody tuning into this um, would do very well to heed that and uh, if we do think about the future once again before we do wrap things up on the programme today um, do give me an idea Simon of what you envision the next 12 months holding for yourself and for the centre and also what you hope to achieve not just in that time but also looking beyond the pandemic and your ambitions for then The next 12 months is just surviving it's keeping as much of the business intact as possible because I don't I don't see the the basic ground rules of social distancing and lower numbers uh, going away until next summer. Um I think the the forecast of a vaccine being twelve to eighteen months before it appears probably means it's going to be eighteen to twenty four months before it's fully implemented in place. So yeah, we've we've got a year of treading water coming along, working very hard to um stand still which isn't a fun way, way to run a business, but um, it's the circumstances we've got now. 
Absolutely. It's a very testing time for business. And um, hopefully um, in the uh, the next few months, um, when we start to see the fog lifting a little bit, um, it will be certainly a much better projection than it is uh, now. And we can maybe catch up as to how the uh, the business is going and maybe looking toward a more upward trajectory. Um, but for now, uh, Simon, um, yeah, I've got to say uh, for now, um, although we are just about out of time on the programme today, I've really enjoyed um, having you on the air with us. It's been an absolute pleasure, but also a really insightful experience as well. And I do thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on here and speak with me today no super thank you i've really enjoyed it simon thanks ever so much for your time today that was Lovely job. cheers then cheers simon. that was simon bates director at the college equestrian center um coming up next on the program today i'll be handing over to jonathan white for his exclusive interview with liz field liz is the chief executive of the personal investment management and financial advice association the trade body for firms who provide investment management and financial advice services for both individuals and families i hope you enjoy listening just as much as jonathan enjoyed speaking with liz and that's coming up next I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you um because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um with post brexit uh, and where 
the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt, I think uh, it, maybe Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Lizzie, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the, the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people for uh, youngsters and you know school kids it will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis which is money so the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money um, the better I think because that then we'll start to promote a culture of of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in in in, in our yes. um, in our country, without a doubt, Liz. Because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, companies can try all they all they might, but it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah, and I think as um, uh, for example, uh, with with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, uh, uh, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system. But ti time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Elizabeth. Yes, I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at and a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised, 
here, Liz. Uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union without, without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more, s far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next 12 months? Um, I think I think that, that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know 31st of January came and went, um, you know we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know. The majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. What we're talking about is smarter regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro in Europe, England, or U the UK rather, and, and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So, whilst I'd like to be posit positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation, and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst the same piece, you know. Indeed, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the SEA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, 
I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is, has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have, have long since folded by the time it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper, uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might want want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I, were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now, I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at, um, at the operations of PIMFOR again, it's what PIMFOR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different 
uh, organizations can that really is be underestimated the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i, I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually mm. but it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing, that you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just. Um, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things, and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.